and welcome in. I am the Promo Guy coming at you from New York City. Today is Thursday, April 20th, but you'll be listening to this Friday the earliest. Welcome to the second episode of the Promo Guy podcast. I am again joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media, who has annoyingly gained some fans in the Discord group after the Rays lost for the first time last Friday. Nick, how are we doing? Let's go. I like that I've got some fans. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Excited for episode two you. here. <laughs> the Rays, the Rays were going to lose eventually. Plus two fifty. I'll take that. Yeah, I don't know how many. Didn't they only lose one other time this week? I, I didn't. I didn't keep going. They got their loss. I was in and I was out. All right, I'm one for one. Yeah, we're building good habits here. I've got another good thing I want to talk to you about. Um, do you want to explain who Hank Groberg is, or are we just gonna? Is that, is that you? I wish it were me. Uh, Hank Groberg is <laughs> is the name of the. Well, he's our editor, right? Uh, he works. At I Blue think Duck. you just come clean. I think you. I think it's time to tell everybody you're Hank. You Groberg. brought it up. I didn't want to bring it up, but his name was appearing on the on the uh, podcast link, and everyone thought that I was Hank Groberg. So. It was nice to kind of keep that going for a sec and throw people off the scent, but I guess we're coming clean, and I am not Hank Groberg. I don't know. I'm not convinced. <laughs> That's fine by me. I've been, I've been called worse than Hank. <laughs> well, we've got a good show lined up today. We're talking points, bet, sale, what that means for their competitors. Bradley Beal's getting sued. We'll be spinning the sports wheel and much more. And for today's big thought, we're talking refunds, when books should offer them, why they're good or bad for gambling, and why people get mad when a bet gets refunded. But Nick, let's talk NBA playoffs. I'm, I'd love to talk NBA playoffs. Nick's got one in Cleveland. I told you, I think the Knicks, the Knicks could come out of the East. Yeah, they looked great the other night, huh? <laughs> yeah, not good timing. By the way, the Jared Allen foul late in that game, I genuinely think was Way dirtier than anything Draymond did. It was a basketball play, so it's a bit different. I thought it was ridiculous to have that kind of basketball play at that moment of the game. I don't think it was malicious. It felt a little malicious. It felt when a guy goes up and you hit him below, like when you take someone's legs out from under them while they're in the air. I don't know how it's anything but malicious. Well, he was going for the block, but. I, I'm just wondering, would Tibbs have kept Randall in? I guess he took Brunson out, but I wonder if that scared the whole thing because I was hoping for two more Randall points. I don't even remember which bet that was a part of, but I know I was rooting for, I know I was rooting for Randall to get uh, – oh, it was a free bet play for Randall to get uh, two more points. So I'm the real loser here. Did he make the free throws off of that? He made the one free throw because I think the flagrant rule on an and one is you get like two shots to make one. Gotcha. Um well, while we're talking NBA, do you have any plays that you'd like to recommend to our audience? I'm talking like good value futures here. Um, no, but because there's no, you know, EV play out there that's clear and cut. But you did text me, ask, you know, giving me a heads up that you'd be asking me for, for something that's sort of non-EV related uh, NBA future. So I did do some digging this morning and there is one that jumped out to me, which was Suns to advance further than the Sixers on DraftKings minus 105. I didn't do all the math out, but at first glance, 
The Suns are, so it's, it's which team will advance further, the Sixers or the Suns, right? And the Suns are, it looked like, uh, I'm trying to remember, maybe minus 290 plus 235, something like that, to advance against the Clippers. So that was like, what, 71%-ish right there, um, fair odds. And then the Sixers, will just call them 100% to go past the Nets to make the math easier. So right away, you do lose almost 30% of the time. And our break-even is about 50%. But in the next round, so the odds of the Suns advancing past round two, you have to take the 71%. And then I think they'll be about minus 150 fair odds against the Nuggets, given that the Suns are still decently bigger favorites to win the conference than the Nuggets. So that puts them at... 43%-ish to advance past the second round. The Sixers, meanwhile, will be, correct me if you disagree, but I think around plus 160, plus 170 fair, fair odds, like zero big against the Celtics. So you end up with their odds being, so 43%, for, I think we said for the Suns. The Sixers would then be, you know, 38, 39% against, to advance past the second round. And I might be even being generous there, um, past the Celtics. And if you keep going, the Suns will be favored against the Lakers, Kings, Grizzlies, or Warriors. And the Sixers would again be underdogs against the Bucks. And if you keep going, the Suns would be favored over the Sixers. So I think that's a pretty good bet. You know, I'd kind of have to do it out. And obviously there's the big first round advantage. But if you can survive the first round, then you're looking at, a huge advantage the rest of the way. I, I would think this would flip to minus 300 at least um, the Suns way. And obviously it'll, it'll push a decent amount of the time. But uh, that to me jumped out as like a good looking bet that I'll probably dive into a little bit more since, you know, I'm already kind of on that path. But uh, that's the one that looked at least the most interesting to me. I think I need to start asking you for plays more often because I love – I, I love the explanation. I'm fully bought in. I think this Suns team, people are overreacting to their lack of depth. They had one g tough game to start the playoffs. I love this Suns team. And I think this Sixers team is who they've showed us they are the last few years. So I'm in. Yeah, I, I do somewhat agree with that just from a, a you know basketball perspective. But I, I will dive into the numbers a little later and, and recommend it in the Discord if if it's uh, a clear plus EV play, I don't normally do that except for with college football, but just because I think it's a better use of my time looking for the EV stuff. But since I'm already down this path, I'll definitely double check that because it did kind of jump out to me. Um, but anyway, uh, let's keep it moving. Let's uh, hit me with the state of the stack. All right, cool. So I always like to do sort of in the A block, the how we've been doing the last week and what promos have been out there. And we're happy about that. Uh, it's been kind of up and down, but net, it's been a pretty good week. Starting with Sunday, we had a pretty great finish to the night with the Steph and Darren Fox kind of going off, casting the FanDuel boost, and then cashing the DraftKings risk-free SGP. That was plus 475. Then Monday, we lost everything. I think we were 0-6. Then Tuesday, we basically won everything. Uh, we won the... Champions League boosts, we won, uh, I think that was the day of the 25% uh, 
Caesar's profit boost, but maybe it was the next, I think it was actually the next day, but we won uh, FanDuel boost. We won, I mean, basically everything. We had a few, we had the, the free bet win uh, with the Kraken game ending even. I mean, we, we really won everything and, and made up for all the losses and more uh, of the day prior. And there were a few kind of plus 400-ish plays there. Then Wednesday was totally up and down. We lost both FanDuel boosts. We hit the $10 LeBron 25 plus. We hit the gift. We hit another big free bet play, the 50 the plus 576, I think it was, play. Uh, and in one of those days, we hit uh, one of the FanDuel free bet plays. So net, we were definitely up on those. And then Caesars SGP, we had a tough one last night and lost a couple this week. And then uh, if you were in the tri-state area, there was the judge home run play that hit. So all in all, it was volatile, but net, uh, I think we were up small to medium. Uh, so pretty good week, kind of humming along. Promos-wise, I've been very happy still this week with all the promos we've seen. Caesars, I mean, I, you know, maybe uh, up and down results, but the 33% SGP boost at $50 max is a really good promo. The 25% boost were really good promo. We, we hit the second one of those yesterday. I don't know if I mentioned that. And then, uh, you know, just having the $50 maxes on Caesars has been nice in the steady stream of promos. And I think they just put a free bet in all of our accounts that I'll have to do a play for today. Then DraftKings, they've really stolen the show. It'll be a tough, next time I do the EV rankings on action, it'll be kind of tough decision between uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. They continue to do the, the risk-free plays that we have been really successful with. Uh, and then the free bets recently we've been successful with. They also did the gift yesterday, plus 100. They've just had a really nice steady stream of promos. They're, they're doing the NHL no sweat. So they've continued to to hit us with a lot of promos. I know they've done a lot of VIP stuff recently as well. And then Fandles, Fandle, they're the same as always. Uh, and then I guess the one last thing uh, that's relevant to many of you, uh, we've done in the Discord, we had Dinger Tuesday this week as always. The $50 limit group was down, I believe, $12. And then we hit, we got the $50 free bets. So net, we are up, what is it? Uh, $30 in just the home run plays. And then we have uh, the free bets from this week. And we made a little bit on free bets the last two weeks. And then the unlimited group is up $73 in just the home run bets and then the same kind of deal. So net, if we're making money on the home run bets, we're doing well. This past week, we had small losses, but we'll definitely take the small losses given the outsized free bets from those so pretty good dinger tuesday nothing to write home about but that's sort of the last update and it'll be hard to overtake vanduel number one in the ev rankings just because of dinger tuesday although the 50 dollars limits certainly don't help i'll have to kind of go through the ev and look at all the promos they've done but overall all three books have really been bringing it so i'm, I'm very happy to see that all right love that love to hear you guys making money always a fan of that and talking about the three books, I think we've got another player in the game who's actually exiting. Let's talk quickly about points bet. Uh, give me an update. What happened there? Yeah, so an article came out. Seems like there are heavy, heavy rumors that they are up for sale. So I think this might be the end of points bet as we know it. And my first thoughts are <laughs> kind of happy trails. 
Uh, I mean, they'll always be remembered for pretending to kill Drew Brees with a lightning strike and then voiding winners. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the Drew Brees thing, you should look it up. It was pretty stupid. And then uh, I, I guess my, my bigger picture thoughts, you know, an article came out kind of suggesting that it's might be the first of many kind of smaller books to go this way as it becomes harder to be profitable if you're not Vandal, DraftKings, Caesar, some of the bigger market share players. That certainly might be the case. I mean, you never know what things will look like, but I kind of think in their case, it's probably a little bit more like you can't be scared and run a sports book. And what I mean by that is they over-limited. I mean, you can make arguments that a lot of these books over-limit, but they were pretty egregious. Uh, and I think that they also just didn't really differentiate themselves in any way in the sense of their promos were weak. They, I thought, I think points betting is kind of cool, but it didn't really seem to, to take life. A lot of their alt lines were really bad. Some of their same game parlay stuff was pretty weak. Uh, I would say overall, like there was just nothing really about them that made you want to sign up and, st and then stay there. And I think it's really hard when you limit so many people to kind of gain traction because people aren't pushing for your book. People aren't telling their friends, oh, I've made money on points bet this week because you basically can't. I mean, it's just to put all your, your marketing dollars in Drew Brees and Paige, whatever her last name is, Berenic, uh, and not kind of invest in confidence in your lines, confidence in your traders being able to sustain promos being able to deal with somebody making money for a couple weeks i mean they, they were definitely limiting non-sharp people so i just think all of this combined just made it hard to kind of have a foothold and their app was also in my opinion pretty crummy like tough to navigate through i always had to update it for some reason so stuff like that i just i think there was a generally poorly executed plan on points bet part as opposed to a broader conversation about smaller books surviving because um, i do think that you know you look at like bet 365 and i think as they enter into more states they will be successful like some of the other books that i had mentioned like i do think it is possible and then a lot of it's probably if you're a sports book about finding your niche right like whether you're an exchange whether you're stock market for sports or sports betting, whether you are kind of like a Circa, and I'm not saying all of these will survive, but they're smaller players that have their own niches, right? Like Circa, which has no limits and high dollar amounts. And then Caesars, who actually, in my opinion, takes that further. They limit very few people, but they actually offer a ton of lines. They have same game parlays. They're willing to take the mattress Mac bets. They, uh, are kind of doing what Circa does to an extent. I mean, not quite at the same limits, not quite at the same uh, non-limiting of users, but with a lot of those components while still maintaining promos, while still having SGPs and having more exotic lines. So I, I think there are books with success stories and points bet just isn't one of them. I think that's it's more of a, a book specific thing rather than 
a consolidation that's going to happen. Because I do think that there are a lot of places that are looking to find their own niche and give you a reason to sign up as opposed to PointsBet just didn't offer many reasons for sign up, to be honest. And then obviously, I don't think that the, the Ty's Jones situation had anything to do with this just because I'm sure this was in the works before that. But you see, I mean, this, this is what happens when you when you handle your customers in that kind of fashion. They're not going to want to sign up. You're not going to get good press, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you get you get the idea here. Uh, so you're, you're against the theory that Tyus Jones is a sleeper agent working for DraftKings to bring down points bet? <laughs> I don't think DraftKings cares about points bet that much. But... Uh, but you never know. I, I know you're big on conspiracies after I told you the Jason Tatum stuff. So I'll let you, I'll let you have that one. So my, my only other follow-up is you don't think this is necessarily a sign of things to come. Like you don't think this is the first domino to fall. If you zoom out and like, I'm not saying in the next few months or even year that some of the smaller books will start to get acquired by some of the bigger players, but Let's zoom out to like five years from now. What do you think the gambling landscape is going to look like as some of the bigger books are able to generate more money and have bigger backings? Are they going to start? Are we going to see like we do in most markets, a consolidation with the bigger players being able to buy up the smaller guys? Well, I think that there's always been a thought that that's somewhat to come. I mean, you know, Twin Spire, Twin Spire's, uh, went on, you know, uh, was done recently and now it's points bet and there, there will be more. I just, I don't think that the points bet that points bet is sort of the landmark, like, okay, smaller books won't work. Cause points bet did have a decent market share for a little bit. I think they had a chance to be successful. Like some of the bigger books, I don't know if there was a ton differentiating them from uh, some of the higher market share players. And I know that they probably were like five or six in a lot of markets. I just think that they struggled ultimately with having like a poorly run book and that was their downfall. And then I think in five years, there, there'll be some consolidation, but I also think that there will be more and more ideas popping up. I mean, every day I'm hearing a new type of sports book. I just rattled off like five or six different types of players and people are still entering the market and Bet365 is coming and there'll be more exchanges and I, I just think there will be a lot of different ways to bet. I think that there will be some that sort of leave the market of, I mean, I think Barstool will be around for a while. I think that DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars, probably MGM will all be around. So I don't know if it'll look a ton different. Yeah, Sports Illustrated might leave at some point or some of the, the less relevant players. But I think you'll start to see, you'll see less of books sort of, trying to compete with FanDuel and more of them trying to offer you different cool things or running their own types of like, we are known for this. And if you want this, come bet here. And I think that that's kind of, we'll see maybe a more, almost a more spread out landscape uh, as opposed with, with multiple options as opposed to a ton of the same. Because the Twin Spires and Points Bets of the World will struggle if you don't run your book well and people aren't signing up then and you're spending a bunch on marketing like how could you expect to be successful yeah i guess it's a unique space where anything most things that these books can offer at least yeah i mean correct me if i'm wrong 
aren't really proprietary. So if someone starts offering something cool, it seems like it's very much a copycat space where someone starts offering a new type of bet and there's nothing to stop FanDuel or DraftKings from just going out and doing their version of it. So I guess that probably leads to less acquisitions being that if someone's doing something well, you don't need to acquire them in order to do what they're doing. You just need to figure out and have smart people and do it better. Yeah, that's a good point. But they're, they're you know, they're probably a little hesitant to spread themselves incredibly thin. So, I mean, I went through this whole segment without bringing up the rise of underdog and prize picks, right? So I think that it sort of just speaks to all the different types of betting that's out there and all the different types of platforms and what, and each of them kind of already starting to find their own space and success in this space, just because they're willing to offer stuff that somebody else won't. And for FanDuel, like if you're, it, FanDuel might be a bad example just because they have such a high market share, but if you're DraftKings, maybe you're not super confident in your ability to have actually like a points betting thing, you know, where points bet kind of paid you per like point you went over uh you're over under or, un or you'd get killed if you uh had the over and they ended up with zero like type of thing where it was more proportional to performance as opposed to binary maybe DraftKings isn't confident enough to have that out there maybe they don't want to spread themselves too thin like there are little things that you can do to sort of differentiate yourself but you have to do it well you have to be confident in what you're doing and i think that that's where points bet really fell through Fair enough. Thanks for making me smarter. Thanks for making everyone listening smarter. Now, let's spin the wheel of sports and see what we get to talk about today. All right. I love the wheel. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm happy this one hit. I've wanted to talk about this all week. And based on your texts, you and I are not going to be on the same page. Oh, Jesus. The dream dream on. on green. <laughs> His suspension is absolutely absurd. Agreed? Why don't you give your take first? I think everybody listening to this has at one time in their life run and at one time in their life been tripped. Anytime when you feel your back foot when you're running get held or tripped up from under you, you try and like your instinct to not fall is to try and find a place to replant it. So when Sabonis very clearly grabs Draymond's leg as he's trying to accelerate down the court, he just needs to find a place to plant it. And when he looks down and sees, if he tries to overextend himself and plant his foot in front of Sabonis and he catches the side of his rib and turns his ankle, like th there's no point from his point of view in doing anything other than exactly what he did. Was it Draymond Green and he did it with a little bit of flair and stomped? I think this is just the NBA not liking that Draymond's reaction afterwards was to egg on the crowd, make a show out of it, snuff put up his nose to the nba and they're they're like you're not gonna punk us you're not gonna make us look bad and run around the court acting like a fool and so they were like we're, we're gonna give you a suspension based on that this had nothing to do with the stomp the stomp was not a dirty play he tried to plant his foot and he did it a little bit harder than he needed to okay so first off i think that does make it a dirty play that he did it he stomped on someone's chest harder than he needed to for the purpose of he was angry and wanted to stomp on the guy's chest. I get that his, you could make an argument that his foot 
needed to land there, but it didn't just happen to land there. He looked down, he, like you said, with flair, raised his foot, and then stopped. <laughs> and I think that this on its own, and the NBA basically said this, this on its own probably wouldn't have been suspension worthy. It didn't help that he ran around bragging about it. It didn't help that after the game, he basically admitted that he stopped him because he was mad that he grabbed his ankle. But this is like the NBA has to do something about Draymond unless you want to return to sort of this WWE Dennis Rodman type, like this is what we want in our sport, but they've made it clear it's not. And Draymond has had so many accidental kicking guys in the nuts, stepping on people, you know, tripping people, hitting people. I mean, there's a whole highlight tape of Draymond's accidental plays oh it was a basketball play when i just happened to raise my feet my leg up six feet in the air and kick steven adams in the nuts right like and i think that and one of the van gundys i think it's jeff says it a lot where draymond gets away with a lot more than any other player can he he gets attacked they don't want to eject him and he is just running around like a crazy person berating the refs making a whole scene. And I, I honestly think that texts should almost never happen unless you're being completely out of line. And I think a lot of this stuff has gone pretty soft. I mean, I'm fine with protecting shooters or protecting guys in the air, like a Randall play, like absolutely should be flagrant just to keep guys safer. But people like talking back to the ref or, I mean, I think of the Caitlin Clark, like behind the back pass or like when she just like, threw the ball away kind of a thing where that led to attack. Like, I think a lot of this has become a ref sideshow. But at some point, Draymond's become his own sideshow. And I think that they were sending a message of it's enough. Like, cut it out. You're hurting your own team. And we can, you can't just go around stomping people, kicking people, tripping people. Like, this isn't the NBA today. So I get it. I thought the ejection might have been enough and maybe a big fine, but I think they're just so sick of Draymond, and I think it's understandable. Sounds like a lot of your argument is based on the past, and if we're just looking at this series, you say you could show me a slideshow of Draymond kicking people, stomping on people, tripping people. I could show you a slideshow of Sabonis taking Draymond to the ground three times in this series, one of which was on the potential game-winning three in game one where Andrew Wiggins ended up getting the corner three on the other end Sabonis dragged him to the ground and then when Draymond tried to get up pulled him back down on top of him they're they're wrestling on that end of the court while the play is going down on the other side Sabonis gets nothing called on him if somebody grabs your it is it is unarguably a dirtier play to grab someone's ankle while they're running than to step on someone accidentally well he he didn't step on someone accidentally but I, this isn't like a court of like, and even in a court of law, I guess someone's history would be relevant. Like, I, I don't know why this has to be an isolated case. This isn't like the NBA MVP where you say, "Hey, it's only based on this year." The NBA can suspend someone. I mean, you get you get suspended if you reach a certain number of texts in the year. This is kind of that when you have enough brutal cheap shots that are widely shown on TV, like. You get punished for it eventually. And if you want to punish Sabonis as well, like I don't think we should run around suspending people. And I do think it was a little harsh. I just think it's defendable. And that the bigger th thing here is 
Draymond, who deserves all the credit in the world for uh, the Warriors winning a bunch of titles, like you're hurting your team. I mean, how many games is he going to get ejected from? I mean, it arguably cost him the 2016 finals uh, with him just getting his, it was his 16th tack or uh, the playoff rules are a bit different, but I think the bigger story is keep your cool. You're supposed to be the 32 year old captain veteran. And like, I get that sometimes your team needs an energy spark. So you rile people up, you rile yourself up, whatever it is, but you got to stay on the court. I mean, they're not as good without them. So, like, why? Yeah, I mean, in that position. I, I'm I'm pulling for the Warriors, and I completely agree. I was not happy that he even put himself in that situation, but I think the flair that he plays with kind of makes them who they are. So I, well, that's I can't fine, get but you can have that in. flair without stomping on someone's chest. Yeah, I I wouldn't. I doubt he would have stomped on anyone's chest unless they tried to trip him <laughs> when he was running. Well, you say that, but um, I'm still thinking of the Stephen Adams play. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think we're going to convince each other on this one. So let's go ahead and give this one another spin, another spin. Let's do it. All right. We got the NFL draft coming up. Uh, this is a fun one. The odds to predict the top picks have been all over the place. We've got Bryce Young and CJ Stroud going back and forth to be the number one pick for the Panthers. But somehow, neither of them have the highest odds of any QB to be the second pick. That would be Will, Will Levis? Levis, yeah. Levis? I think it's- yeah. So what's your take on betting the draft? I, I put this in the category of, like, the, the Gatorade color for the Super Bowl. Because to me, it is absolutely absurd. Bryce Young, so, so it says he's minus 1,200 on drafting to be the number one pick. It was like minus 110 literally four days ago. And for me, it's so ridiculous that this kind of movement could happen without anything substantial really coming out other than some people just know and they bet enough and they move the line. It's the same thing. Like I get a text every year. I didn't this year somehow where it's like, oh, the rehearsal. I know a guy who was at the rehearsal of the national anthem and and uh, the rehearsal was two minutes and three seconds. And then the line just gets hammered to that number kind of a thing. It's crazy to me that sports books can le- have these odds up and just assume. And clearly, they are, you know, they're doing it for a reason. So I'm sure that they're right about this. But they can assume that they're going to be profitable, even though little, there are little people that know the answer that – are moving the line to like when they were hanging minus 110, presumably Bryce Young will be the first pick and a bunch of people bet it. That's how it moves to minus 1200. And they got hurt on that, but there's enough betting two way out there of people that don't know where they're still making that money back. Like to me, it's crazy. This kind of market exists. As far as my thoughts on Will Levis versus CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young. I mean, I'm not an NFL scout or anything. Whenever Obviously, the the conversation around Richardson and uh, Levis, who was the Kentucky quarterback, are that um, they weren't that good in college, but their measurables are are really strong. Where Bryce Young is shorter. Uh, CJ Stroud, I think, is a little shorter, too. Like They they might not have the same measurables, but they performed a lot better in college at Bama and Ohio State, where uh, Young and Stroud went. So this is kind of like a never-ending conversation of, 
would you prefer the guy that's performed well in college versus the guy that is six six with a big arm or big legs or both, I guess, in Richardson's case? I don't have a great answer to it. I feel like historically looking, it's usually the college player unless it's kind of obvious that they won't be that great. Um, but for me, I think the bigger story here is no lines move like this because other than these kind of betting lines or some of the Super Bowl stuff where people just know the answer and they move it this much, but yet the books still show decent pricing for it. I mean, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud were each minus 110, and then the next guy was like 10 to 1. So there wasn't a crazy amount of vig in it, but yet they're really leaving themselves exposed to just these massive runs on a person because people know or people think they know or you know rumors start to kind of swirl around Bryce Young stuff. So I think that's the big story here. Do they make, do you think they make the odds on like the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy most likely to be drafted first super long just to entice people like longer than they actually should be because they know in reality, none of those guys are actually going to be taken first. Like I'm looking at uh, Will Levis to be drafted first plus 4,000 seems like pretty good value if there was an actual chance, but I think they just know that there's no real chance and will give extra value there to try and get people on those. Uh, I don't know if they're giving extra value, but they probably put them on the board for that reason. Just people taking flyers and that kind of a thing. I mean, I think that's what they do with a lot of these super long props. I mean, even if you get to like the NHL first goal scorers or the soccer first goal scorers, like some of like, I think there are a lot of, future type plays that are super unlikely that they probably just sort of cap, you know, something that should be 200 to one, but you put it as 40 to one isn't as obviously bad as kind of that equivalent switch around plus 200. Right. So I think that they can get away with being further from the fair odds when you kind of have these super, low probability things because it's hard for us in our head. Like it's easy for us in our heads to calculate Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are super likely to be the first pick. So if they're both minus 110, that's like around fair pricing and I'm, I'm happy to lay the 11 to win 10. But I think just as like people, we struggle to differentiate 100 to one and 300 to one. Like to us, it's all just super unlikely. So I think that that's where they're able to kind of a little bit more vig and probably protect themselves a little bit because you can get killed a lot easier like if i were market mate if i were a trader at DraftKings, i would probably want to protect myself because if some rumor came out that it was going to be will anderson and we had him at 150 to one which is what it's showing on the screen there like if we had him at 150 to one well we could get really killed so I think that they probably put more Vig in those anyway, just as protection. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. But on the topic of whether we'd go with the guy who is good in college or the guy with the measurables, I think this draft is like very polarizing in that sense. And just my two cents on it, I think that I would love to see the Panthers take Anthony Richardson and rebuild what they had with Cam 
I think he is a ridiculous athlete, and it would be really fun to see them go down that road again. Yeah, but Cam, like, was had arguably the best season of all time at Auburn. I mean, yeah, he was. Yeah. He, he, he was an electrifying recruit. Won a national championship. I mean, if I'm remembering, I was right. I was I was pretty young, but like, he, he won a uh, national championship in at JUCO or community college, and. Then he goes to Auburn, and like they weren't that great around him. I mean, I think they had a couple guys in the league, but it wasn't this sort of 0-1 Miami stacked type roster. And he led him to a national championship uh, with an incredible season. So that's a far cry from what Anthony Richardson did at Florida. I mean, his completion percentage was in the low to mid-50s. They were a pretty pitiful team this year. And he struggled to beat out I don't know if he, if you can really say he beat out Emory Jones the year before. I, he, it's just you're looking at a very different profile from when Cam Newton was sort of the obvious number one pick because he had all the measurables and he had the success in college versus Anthony Richardson, who just has the measurables. Yeah, fair enough. That uh, is it. Well, before we go out to break, right, yeah. if you had to choose, if you had to choose one QB number one overall, who are you going with? I would probably go Bryce Young. I think that uh, C.J. Stroud, first off, we saw Bryce Young against really good competition succeed a lot. C.J. Stroud, to me, was a little bit more up and down. I remember watching him play like Northwestern and kind of struggling with the weather. Um, I think that Marvin Harrison is an absolute stud at wide receiver for them and that you know, I never really saw, other than really like the Georgia game, C.J. Stroud impressed me the way Bryce Young did for two years. So I would lean towards Bryce Young. I, I mean, it, that's not to say I don't think C.J. Stroud's really, really good. And then from what I watched at Kentucky and Florida, like I just there, – there aren't enough guys that are sort of elite in the NFL that I remember being that bad in college. And maybe I'm – missing someone or, or not thinking correctly. You know, I, I didn't uh, come completely prepared. Josh Allen. For this. Josh Allen was good at Wyoming, though. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I guess the completion percentage numbers were down, but his, his stats were really good. But, yeah, that's 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 probably a good comp here. Um, but Patrick – I mean, Patrick Mahomes is really good. Aaron Rodgers is really good. Um, we don't have to go through all the – the top NFL guys, but most of them were successful in college. I don't even know if you can say that about, you know, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. But uh, anyway, I think we should go to break. Um, we'll be right back with our big thought of the day. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back in. Uh, we are about to talk about refunds. So a lot of people are upset because refunds are given out. A lot of people are upset because refunds are, refunds are sometimes not given out. But the background on all of this is when a player gets hurt, oftentimes sports books, notably like DraftKings and FanDuel, will give a refund, basically saying, "You here's a free bet back. You know, Giannis got hurt in the first quarter. You had his over points. That's a tough break. You know, have a free bet. So the first part are the people that get mad when there isn't a refund, 
So a lot of people get upset. I think a good example of this was Otani the other day. Uh, they were facing, I don't remember who they're facing, but they were playing against Brian Bella was the other pitcher and there was a weather delay. So people that had Otani's over strikeouts, uh, got refunded because he only pitched the first couple innings and then it got rained out and then he didn't come back out. So there was a refund for that, but I believe DraftKings did not refund the other pitcher who was in the same exact situation. And this is sort of indicative of the books picking and choosing when to give out refunds. It's not like every time a player gets hurt, they give out a refund. So people are upset when they don't get a refund because other people got a refund for Giannis or for Otani, but they had a, a more random player where a refund wasn't given out. My, And then I'll just explain the other side of it. People are upset that refunds are given out at all. They think that it is not a part of gambling or that it is a part of gambling uh, to account for injuries. And if you have someone's over and someone gets hurt, that's part of the game and you shouldn't cry and get refunded. So they're upset when the books do this. My thought, and I've said this on Twitter and probably in spaces before, my initial thing is I think it's better to think about this as a promotion. Like nobody would be upset if there was a promo running at all times on DraftKings. And this is really to address the people who don't like refunds crowd. I'll get to the people that says there aren't enough. Uh, but the analogy for, for the first group is if there was a promotion that every time your player got hurt in the first half, your bet got refunded. And that was just a part of betting on DraftKings and FanDuel. I don't think that there would be enough, that there would be that much backlash against it. It would just be part of the promotional budget, part of marketing, a reason to, to bet on DraftKings or FanDuel. And that's all this really is, is the big books saying, this is a reason to come bet with us because you get injury protection sometimes. So that's the first group. You know, stop complaining. It's, it's sports books giving bettors money. This is not something to complain about. Sure, you might not like a bunch of people crying on Twitter, and I think it's a little lame as well. But in the end, they're trying to encourage people to bet on their sports book. Why are you rooting for DraftKings to keep the money instead of giving it to, to sports bettors, giving it to users? Now, for the second group that says there aren't enough, I kind of just want to take the other you know, the other side of it of there isn't rhyme or reason to when they do it. They mostly just do it when, in my opinion, the most eyeballs are on a prop and it's the best bang for their buck. So maybe not a ton of people bet the over on something or so it kind of has to have the right sort of formula of least costly to them with the most positive attention. And so when you think of it like that, I think that you just have to understand you are not betting an over with this promo insurance that if your guy get, gets hurt, you're going to get your money back. Like that's part of betting overs. You should put it into your formulas if you have any, and you should take it into account. If you're betting on certain guy, certain players overs, you should not expect a refund if they lose, if they get hurt. But if it happens, if you get the refund, you should be pumped and stop, you know, this whole like FOMO, I'm trying to beat my neighbor type thing. 
I, I think really needs to leave gambling and it's maybe a broader issue of just people having so much FOMO and it's not for most people us against the books it's me against you against the books like we have a common enemy but we're not happy enough for each other when we're getting our money back or when we have nice hits against the books i mean most of the time when somebody has a big hit and it gets shared on action or bleacher report or pixwise or whatever all the replies are man why couldn't it me and i think we should get into more of the let's beat the books let's be happy for each other because you know it's just not a like a healthy fun way to to live uh, you're not going to be happier gambling when you just have fomo all the time of somebody else's big hits or you just have fomo that your player your brian bellow prop didn't get refunded but otani's did like that's just a part of it but otani getting refunded has nothing to do with your brian bellow strikeout play it, it, it's completely separate from that and you know a lot of studies have been done like that people in some third world countries are just as happy as people in the US. And a lot of that has to do with people, at least the theory goes, a lot of that has to do with people in the US who, especially like rich people in the US, who obviously have more and live more comfortably than people in third world countries. They are always comparing themselves happiness wise and otherwise to their neighbors. So if their neighbors get, you know, a new fancy boat and they don't have enough money for one, they become less happy. Whereas in the third world countries, they're also comparing themselves to their neighbors. But if you look at your neighbor and he has the same problems that you do, it's kind of this shared misery thing. But in my, you know, and I think that there are some flaws with a lot of those surveys just because, you know, you're scaling differently. But I think we can kind of apply that lesson to sports betting and just be happy with who you got, right? I mean, you made a bet. It won or lost. If you get a refund, be happy about it. If you didn't, you never expected one anyway. Don't worry about what other people are getting. It's it's just a reason to bet on the, on the book. It's just a promo. You, and it kind of also goes for, like, targeted promos. People get upset when there's a promo out there that their state doesn't have and whatnot, like, just worry about what you do got. It's good. I mean, we're in kind of this golden age of sports betting with promos everywhere and refunds given out and new user signups. Like, just enjoy it. Try and make some money off it. Try and get some, you know, entertainment value, a different form of EV from it all and keep it healthy and fun. And again, like, don't get so caught up in what other people are getting because I think that that is kind of the crux of the issue here. And an issue with a lot of different sports betting things that come up yeah i mean it seems to me like this is the one situation where the books are kind of looking out for the gamblers and protecting them on their downside is this i know you mentioned this a little bit at the top is this is there a world where we see books just make this standard protocol where every single time a player gets injured in the first quarter or first half like wouldn't that be a pretty attractive like come bet with us we protect you in case some uh, like we give you injury protection let's call it and like that is something you were talking earlier in the pod about books off finding their niche and offer offering like different types of bets wouldn't the book that offers injury protection be the one you want to bet on or is that too much risk for them yeah i mean 
it kind of makes me think of the, I don't, I'm not sure why I didn't think of it earlier, like Bet365 has their like 20-point lead insurance type thing, I think, for the NBA. And they, they have like three goals in soccer or hockey. Like they do this kind of a thing where it's just a standard, your bet cashes if you go up by enough in the different sports. And I think that that's just a cool way to bet on bet like a cool reason to bet on bet 365 like why wouldn't you take the same line if you have that kind of insurance so i don't know exactly what kind of protocol would make the most sense for the sports books to use i mean it would probably be too costly to say every single time a guy gets hurt in the first half we're going to refund it just because there are probably some sports and some maybe even players that where that's more likely, uh, you know, I'm thinking of like Giannis was questionable. Giannis being questionable and he's going to give it a go, but it's it's relatively likely he's going to go into the locker room. His points over under is a lot lower because of that. Um, maybe they wouldn't want to give that kind of insurance or, or else they'd have to have their line a little bit higher and it'd be a bit of a mess. But if they could figure out a way to do it, maybe like a first quarter refund or just for specific sports, or even just run it as a promo like they do any other promo. Like, hey, for this week, any NBA playoff bet. But I think some of the frustration, and I you know, I don't mean to go against my rant of don't worry about what, you, what your neighbor's getting, but like, I think if they just had it more standardized, like these are the rules around refunds, there would be less frustration. I just think it might be hard for them to pull off. So if they could, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. As someone who actually likes to bet the under every now and then, maybe we get some protection when a guy has a first half like Garland did the other night when someone's got 12 first quarter points and 20 at halftime. Can we get some protection on the under too, please? No, you can't get protection because you made bad bets, Nick. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I thought they'd, uh, they'd maybe look out for me there. But, uh, well, that's it for today's Big Thought. Up next, it's time for you guys to try and guess the boost alongside TPG. We'll be right back with that after this quick break. Thanks guys. Welcome back in everyone. Nick, what exactly are we talking about today with guess the boost? Uh, today we are guessing the boost, a new segment we haven't tried out yet. Our new giveaway game where we see how well you know your books. Here's how it works. TPG and I are going to try and guess where what the FanDuel boost will be for Sunday's slate of NBA games. Then you guys will get the chance to do it as well. To enter, reply to the tweet with the link to listen to the episode with what you think the boost will be. TPG, what are the people playing for? All right. So if you get the boost details right, you don't have to get the odds exactly right, but you have to get the players you know, the points or assists, whatever that they need to get um, exactly right. And you will get three free months of access to my Discord. If you are already in my Discord and in the higher tier, you will get $15 off uh, for the next three months. So uh, $45 value. Well, $45 of cost. You can decide if it's a lot more value or maybe somehow less value than that. And we are not going to cap this. I think we had talked about capping it but as many people that get it right because i don't think a lot of people are going to get it right uh can be accessible to this giveaway so 
I'll get started. Wow, the slander! You don't you don't think that you don't think that everyone's gonna get this? I, you know, I'm I've, excited I've run this giveaway before in the Discord, and it's it's pretty hit or miss uh, with people getting it. But it's not like there's gonna be 20 people that get it right. I, I'm, I'm really, my guess gets it right, know. and a bunch of people reply with my guess. But make sure you are replying to the tweet where I say the second episode is up. Reply, all you have to do is reply to that. You don't have to retweet it or like it or anything like that. Just reply with you know, so-and-so and so-so to combine for this many points or, you know, yesterday's was LeBron and Jokic each to get 20 points and six assists, just as an example. Okay. I'm going to do my guess first. So the, it's got to be the NBA boost for Sunday. So the teams playing are the Cavs, Knicks and Kings Warriors. I think I like my chances better of the Kings Warriors game. Don't we have? Isn't that a four-game slate on Sunday? We've got Celtics, Hawks, and Nuggets, Timberwolves as well. I think. Oh, on my ESPN app, it just says the two games. But I'll, I'll stick to Kings Warriors then. Anyway, so I'm going to say they're going to do a Warriors-related boost because I was kind of thinking maybe Steph and, and Fox to combine for something, but I'm going to say Steph and Clay to combine for sixty points. And I'm going to guess that it is boosted to, I'm going to say plus 200. Yeah, I'm going to say, eh, that's going to be maybe too low. I'm going to say plus 250 for Steph and Clay to combine for 60 plus points. I don't know what their lines will be, but that's going to be my guess of the Sunday boost. What do you think, Nick? Um, I'll stick with the series that I'd be watching the closest. So I'll say... In game four in New York, the Garden will be going crazy. I think they'll boost, we'll say, Mitchell to score over 25, Randall to score over 25, and Randall 10 plus rebounds. Okay. To plus 400? Plus 500? Would that be better? It's going to be lower. Well, Mitchell... Mitchell's over under, I imagine, will be over 24 and a half. Randall's will probably be right there. His rebound line is usually what, like nine and a half? So with the yeah, like, it's a little Rand, under the Randall side will probably be like plus 200 unboosted. And then the Mitchell side will probably be, uh, I think he's usually been like a favorite. He's like his over under has been like 28 and a half. So he'll probably be like minus. Let's say 250 unboosted. So I would think that that boost goes to, I don't know, more like plus 300, plus 350 maybe. But we'll we'll see. All right, so we've got Nick for Mitchell, 25-plus points, Randall, 25-plus points, and 10-plus rebounds. And we've got me for Stephen Clay combining for 60 points. Uh, so make sure you reply to the tweet with your guesses. The winners get three free months in the Discord or the $15 per month if you're in the higher tier. Awesome. Uh, so I think that's it for Guess the Boost. We will uh, announce the winners on Twitter on Sunday. Excited to see at least 50 people get for, uh, free three months in the Discord. So uh, make sure you guys reply. Um, moving right along. 
We've got another edition of Mythbusters. Uh, last week, we touched on Tatum's performance in boosts. We successfully proved that he has actually made people money if they bet on all his boosts that TBG has recommended. This week, we've got another one to debunk. Injury likelihood when a player is in a boost. I haven't read any of the stats you threw in our rundown yet, so I'm excited to see what you're about to say. But I fully believe in jinxes in sports, and this seems like one that might be kind of likely. So far, the, what we're trying to debunk, if a player is in a boost, it's more likely they get hurt. Kind of makes sense to me. Fandle's out here jinxing players. <laughs> yeah, so last week we debunked the Tatum myths, which were actually shocking to me that he has performed basically as well, almost as well, when he's in a boost rather than when he's not in a boost. It was only a couple points less uh, per game and that the boosts that Tatum was in were actually up 5.35 units in 12 tries. And he actually did cash the Massachusetts only Tatum boost uh, this past week to score 25 plus and the Celtics to win. So even the state specific uh, went well after last week's episode this week. And a lot of this, I don't know if I'll say myth uh, has been driven up by Morant and Giannis were two of the three players in a boost the other day, and they both got hurt, which definitely drove the FanDuel out here, you know, shooting players in the legs uh, during the game where they know when guys are going to take a fall. So I sought out to debunk that myth, and I looked at every player that was in a FanDuel boost this year and looked at how often they exited a game early so basically i just searched in underdog like so and you know julius randall's left the game and if they had left the game early i would call it an injury i might have missed them coming back but whatever uh i did the same process for when they were in a boost and not in a boost so if they if they left the game early it counted as injury and i compared how often they got hurt in games that they were in a boost versus games when they're not in a boost the data is actually shocking to me so <laughs> players not in a boost there were 1528 games and 52 times they got hurt which is 3.4 percent of the time that just these players the ones that were in boost got hurt when they were not in a boost then I looked at the 139 times that they were in a boost and they got hurt 11 times, which is 7.9%. So overall, players were more than twice as likely to get hurt. And I did this for only NBA. I didn't look at any other sports. Uh, I did only NBA, but 7.9% of the time when a guy was in a FanDuel boost, he got hurt. So more than twice the time, more, more than twice as often when they were in a boost, they would get hurt, which means we are not debunking this myth today. Like this isn't anything statistically significant or crazy like that, but it's not nothing. It's clearly higher. I can't explain it other than, you know, it's just 11 instances. So, you know, if you, if you dropped it to to five which is actually a big drop you would even that out but 
yeah, guys have been getting hurt more likely when they're in FanDuel boosts. Uh, I don't mean to feed into the rumors, but, you know, to keep my journalistic integrity here, this was the myth I set to debunk, and I was unable to do so. I actually only confirmed it. So are we sure we're confirming this myth, or are we just saying that this is a, st- like, yeah, the stats point to it, but are, we're... I wasn't able to debunk it. How about that? I think we we're, it's safe to say that this is a bit of an outlier, that there's no... Correlation isn't causation. Let's go with that. I, I completely agree. I, I, I did not prove that FanDuel is taking players' legs out or anything, but... I believe I was unable to debunk the myth that players were more likely to get injured if they were in FanDuel boost, uh, whether it's correlation causation or not. And it's, it's not, uh, it did happen this season more often when they were in a boost than when they were out of a boost. FanDuel's got up to some dirty tricks, man. Good for them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, okay. Let's do grants. My gears, my favorite segment. You know, what really grinds my gears so this one, this one really grinds my gears, and I've worked behind the scenes for some time now to try and get it corrected, and have been kind of left with no choice but to bring it to the public. And I mostly have tried with Caesars. Um, I haven't tried with FanDuel because that one was more, maybe more recent. But I'm bringing it to the public. It really grinds my gears when FanDuel and Caesars, which is all the time, have their rounded run lines in baseball SGPs cost you half a run. Now, what do I mean by that? If you bet in an SGP, anything on FanDuel or Caesars connected with, let's say, so I'm looking at the Twins Red Sox game. So they have the over under nine, right? If I bet, I'll just go scroll down to player strikeouts. So, Kenta Maida, over four and a half strikeouts, over nine runs. So, what do I mean by that they are costing us half a run? This gets you to plus 305. The over strikeouts, over nine runs. If I go to alternate total runs, and instead of over nine, and if it lands on exactly nine, that leg will void and they will recalc to the strikeout odds. But if I go to over eight and a half, I get the same exact plus 305. So what does that mean if you're betting? That means that if you bet over four and a half strikeouts and over nine runs, you are getting the odds for over eight and a half as the second leg of the SGP. But if you bet over eight and a half and there are nine runs, that leg wins. If you bet over nine runs, and there are nine runs exactly. Like I said, it will recalc. So you will win literally way less money. You'll get a plus 130 win instead of a plus 305 win. If he goes over his strikeouts and there are nine runs. Caesars does the same exact thing. And just to prove it, I'll, and you can check this for yourself. Any pairing this will work for, except for on Caesars, if you do, if you do a money line with the over because they don't consider that an SGP. They consider that a regular parlay. So I will go to Kenta Meta over strikeouts, over nine runs on Caesars. I get to plus 282. 
if I do over eight and a half total runs? What do you know? Plus 282. So Caesar's doing the same exact thing. If nine runs exactly happen and you go over strikeouts, this bet will void. But if you did over eight and a half, this bet would win. So this is a huge difference pricing-wise. Canby actually does it right. And as they should, I mean, it's ridiculous to happen. It, the same exact thing would happen if I did under nine runs. It would give me the under nine and a half runs price. But at nine runs, instead of winning, it, it pushes. So I'm going to do the can be one so over four and a half for the other pitcher i'll try and do this quickly over nine runs plus 260 and then if i did over eight and a half instead of plus 260 it's plus 220 so they're costing us 40 cents here on each of these sgp bets and they don't say it anywhere they it's not like they're they're grading it in such a manner and it's not like the half a run is a plus EV play. They're just giving you the normal odds for plus eight and a half. When I brought this to Caesars, they said, <laughs> we don't know how we are unable to price the push line correctly. So we pushed the, the half a run worse. Like they know they're doing this. It doesn't say it anywhere. They are fully knowledgeably just giving you the odds for a half a run worse and, and grading it that way. And this grinds my gears honestly more than anything because it's so not obvious. They're aware of doing it. I, I went to the gaming commission with this and it's just all gotten me nowhere. And so now I'm bringing it to the public. I think that every single bet that they made with they had this pricing should be regraded if it landed on nine runs exactly. But it's any rounded line. If it's 7.0, 8.0, 10.0, whatever it is. They are giving you a half a run worse, whether you do the over or the under in their SGPs. It's a ton more VIG. I've laid it all out. Caesars has fully admitted it. I, I should have gone to FanDuel as well, but they started doing it more recently. And I think that this is one of the worst things, frankly, like that's out there in the gambling industry because these are two of the three biggest books. It's, again, it's not obvious they fully aware that they're doing it and it should be really easy to price pushed runs screw it make it halfway between eight and a half and nine like you don't need to protect yourself half a run and you should there should be a big warning saying we don't know how to do this so we are pricing at a half run worse instead of placing over nine you should place over eight and a half they should say that before you place the freaking wager because it's honestly bullshit and it needs to be corrected Immediately, I, I, I again, I think that previous bets should be able to be regraded. It is not anything other than they are not good at pricing. Or, I mean, that's how I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But maybe they just think they can get away with it. And a better assumes when they are betting under nine runs, over nine runs in their SGP, that they are getting better odds than over eight and a half or under nine and a half because it grades worse. So that's what grinds my gears today, Nick. Rounded run lines on FanDuel and Caesars with their SGPs. I, I love when you get upset at the books, and I do feel like this is one where they're kind of just taking advantage of the fact that they know people don't double-check just because they trust them. Uh, and it just, just feels like a misuse of trust. 
Yeah, to to me, this is a lot worse than like the than the than the defend that line of last week with the DraftKings SUP. It was like clearly a mistake. They shouldn't be able to accept those wagers, but this is systematic, and they know what they're doing. It was pointed out to them. I know, I pointed it out, <laughs> and they admitted to what they're doing. The gaming commission did nothing about it. They did nothing about it, and this was at the end of last year when I went to them, and they had an entire off season to do it. And uh, I, I just can't believe that we're in this place. So I hope public pressure does it. I hope people complain. People should honestly, if, if you have one of these bets, like come forward and bring it. Try try and get this regraded because it is it's just wrong. Anyway, uh, that's it for our show today. Stay tuned uh, to me on all different platforms, Twitter, Discord, Promo Guy Podcast. Thank you, Nick, again, and I'm excited for next week. Uh, And also, please rate, review, and subscribe. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.